Well, guys, welcome to Timeless Truths, our excursion through 1 John with a group of men that love God and love the Word. Our guest speaker this evening is an amazing man. He has been a missionary for a long time. Prior to full-time admissions, he got to pastor for a while in Hawaii. Somebody's got to do it. Currently serves six months out of every year in India, in the state known as Andhra Pradesh, which is southeast India, in tobacco country. And the Lord is using him mightily there to raise up house churches and leaders of those churches who are pastoring multiple churches, kind of like circuit riders. Has a beautiful wife named Jay and several children who live in this area. So, my brother, come and bring us the word. This is Bob Lanning. Can we show our appreciation? All right. Uh, I wanted to give you a little context here. It's kind of interesting. It's really kind of supernatural, I think. Uh, a couple of months ago, I signed up, and I saw the subject, teachableness, and I thought, well, that, that, I'm really into that. So, I mean, it's a passion of mine to be teachable and, and to find people that are teachable. But um, uh, I didn't make note of the, the reference and then I didn't have with me, you know, one of the papers that had the references. So I had been making notes, in, in you know, as God gave me thoughts about the subject. And I was getting ready to assemble them on Monday and realized, good grief, I don't know what the passage is. <laughs> and uh, so I called the church. And uh, it said uh, Alan was at a um, conference. So I called him on his mobile and got his voicemail. And um, went ahead and went to work and assembled my my thoughts and notes and uh, was pretty well finished with it. Um, and Alan called and gave me the reference. And um, uh, it was it was uh, it was almost shocking to me because now how many of you uh, heard me speak a few weeks back in the Sunday service? Okay. Uh, I don't expect you to remember what I spoke on. I, I usually can't. But anyway, <laughs> I spoke on integrity, and I pointed out that a year ago I had been teaching on do the right thing, do the right thing. Do any of you remember the, the point that I made that I thought was extremely salient and extremely important between the difference between choose to do the right thing and the issue of integrity? Do you remember the significance of that? Well, no, well, no. Uh, okay. Here's here's the point, and it's I can save you 50 years of making of being led astray <laughs> and, and misunderstanding scripture if you can be teachable from if the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what I'm trying to share with you tonight on this one little point. Okay, doing the right thing. It's certainly commendable, and it says, says it right in our passage. But the issue of integrity is distinctive in that doing the right thing is an issue of choice. And if we could always do the right thing, if we could always follow the law, Jesus wouldn't need it to come. All we needed was the old covenant. We would follow the law and do the right thing. But we can't. He didn't give us the DNA to do that. <laughs> and and so he had to come. And what happened when he came? Well, we'll read about it right in our passage tonight. He wrote it on our hearts, the law. 
And integrity is one of those laws, if you will, one of those motivations of the heart. You follow me so far? Okay. Now, the difference between that is, is that if, you're, if our hearts are right, we will be motivated, we will be reminded, we will be corrected by the Holy Spirit, excuse me, um, to, to make the right choices. And we won't stumble and foolishly make the wrong choices if we're in constant contact in our hearts with the Lord Jesus living there. You with me? Right. And that's only possible by his death and resurrection and the sending of his Holy Spirit. Now, let's, let's look at the passage. Um, it's John, I mean, First John, um, second chapter, 26 through the 29th verses. First John 2, 26 through 29. And right off, we have an alert. I have written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Hello. Huh? Is that hell? I mean, does that alert us? Is that a, you know, that's like, uh, 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 you know, the signs that warn you a stoplight is coming or a turn is coming or something. We're put on alert here that John is writing to help us because there are those out there who are trying to deceive us. And so how can we be on guard? How can we be prepared so that we're not deceived? Let's go on. The anointing you received from him, him being our Lord Jesus. Right? Remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as he has taught you remain in him. All right? Do you see a direct parallel between what I was teaching to three weeks ago? I didn't plan this. I thought it was rather supernatural, but I just happened. I chose the subject, and here's the verses that are on the very issue that is so uh, precious to me. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let me remind you, saints, every one of us will stand alone before Jesus. Pastor won't be with us. Wife won't be with us. Our fathers and mothers won't be with us. We will be alone. And he'll say, Bob, why did you do that? Hmm? Why did you make that decision? Why did you choose that thing? What were you thinking of? And and I believe that if we can say, at the moment, Lord, I thought that's what you were saying to me in your spirit, and that's why I did what I did. I believe he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I believe that with all my heart. If we can say with full conviction, I thought that's what you were saying to me. I believe that's what you you intended for me to do. So he says, so now we'll look before him at that coming. And if uh, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Okay? Now, um, let's go back. Look where it says, um, verse 27, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. What do you suppose that means? I'm standing up here teaching you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says that, the, that there is a, a gift of teaching, you know, that there are those who have gifts 
among the gifts, the, the, the functional gifts in the Bible, huh? ministry gifts. Teaching is one of them. So what does it mean you don't need any teacher? I think that's a crucial question we have to, have to ask tonight and we have to answer tonight. I will uh, be thinking about it, will you? What could it possibly mean in light of all other scripture? Now, if it said it just in this one place, I would say, well, uh, okay, that's interesting. But I'm going to show you two other places where it says the exact same thing, more or less. Um, on, on Sunday, a few weeks back, I quoted you Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 16. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Where that comes from is, is in uh, Jeremiah. It's a quote from Jeremiah, which I'll read to you. Um, Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. Now, this is prophecy by Jeremiah. He says in uh, verse, uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they all, for they all will know me. From the, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's decoration, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sins. Yeah. That's Jeremiah prophesying the coming of our Lord Jesus and this dramatic transition. Now, uh, I was explaining to you on Sunday uh, a few weeks back that, that, you know, I've been to seminary, I've been a pastor since... Uh, Moses was in the basket, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, 69, I think it was first ordained. And uh, uh, it wasn't until about 15 years ago that I, that the Lord gave me, uh, through, through a dear friend now, dear friend, revelation of the dis really precious distinction between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. I, you know, I knew, you know, law and grace and all the things that, that were taught, you know, uh, the, the standard things, but the application, the understanding, I, I didn't, the revelation I didn't have. I really didn't. But this is it. This is it. It's inherent in these three verses that I, that I just shared with you. And it's so absolutely crucial to keep us from being led astray. We talked about Antichrist, what, last week or the week before or whatever, and talked a great deal about Antichrist. Last week. Last week. Antichrist is anything that, that competes with our Lord Jesus. Anything that contends with him or displaces him or replaces him. And anything can do that. Some people have faith in faith. And faith takes the place of our Lord Jesus. If wow. you just have faith... Oh, if you just have faith, all things are possible. They never mention Jesus. It doesn't come up in the conversation. It's faith, in quotes, you see. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I've seen people who worship worship. Yeah. I call them cruzomatics. They run around between churches for the best worship. And, it, and, and it's, it, worship is, <laughs> I love worship. So worthy, so wonderful. But you can't worship worship. It can become antichrist in nature. Anything that contends with or displaces or replaces our Lord. 
Some people will tell you, you must submit to those in authority. Well, I want you to know I submit to the Lord Jesus. I have brothers who stand with me and teach me and correct me, but I submit to the Lord Jesus. He is the head of the church in my head. All right? There are those who will say many things like that, that, that contend with our Lord Jesus being the head of the church, being the head of the believer, being uh, the Lord and Master above all things and all else. There will be those who say you know, that they are apostles or bishops or whatever term they wish to use, and they'll try to exert their authority over you. The context of the Old and New Covenant is the Old Covenant, you had to have a priest. You needed a high priest. Every year he went into to the Holy of Holies, you know, and the goat was sacrificed for the sins and so forth. That was absolutely critical and essential in that time. We do not now. We Who's the high priest now? Jesus. It says so in Scripture, doesn't it? He is the high priest. He is the sacrificial lamb. Anything that displaces or replaces that or says otherwise is antichrist in nature. It's, fun, it's funny, last week we didn't ever mention Jehovah Witnesses, isn't it? We, it never came up. I kind of thought that was interesting. Jehovah Witnesses deny our Lord Jesus. They say the Father's enough. That's really, you know. Aren't they one of the 4,400? They claim they are. <laughs> you know, they claim they are, of course. But the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, uh, deny the Lord Jesus Christ as, as, as God, as do the Mormons, and so forth and so forth, many others. Uh, now, um, I didn't. I didn't come here to teach that tonight. I, I just. I just. You know, was so impressed that it was in this passage so clearly, again, as it is in Hebrews and it is in Jeremiah. Uh, what I wanted to talk about tonight, and what my subject is, is teachableness, and it's so huge uh, that we, we really need to get to it. Um, as a proposition about teachableness, teachableness is a mindset or an attitude. Are you with me? Yeah. It, 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 can, you, can, can you be taught? I, I, uh, you know, I do church planting. I've been doing this for many, many, many years, starting churches in small towns and villages. Did some here in the United States before I ventured out into the world. And um, uh, I, to this day, call myself a student of church planting. I mean, I, I've been department head in a missions university and so forth, but I'm a student of church planting. I am always searching and, 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 and trying to understand and, and, and better uh, applying the word of God in terms of his dear church, his wife, his bride, and, and how to, to manage her and care for her and be his instrument here in the earth, his representation, but I'm a student. A student has to be teachable, or what's the sense of being a student? I mean, you know, being called a student, right? Okay, that's the attitude I'm talking about. When I was, um, uh, I was a Navy chaplain during the Vietnam era. I didn't retire or anything, just five years during the Vietnam era. And uh, after I got out of the chaplaincy, uh, uh, I sought some discipleship. I mean, as I said, I'd been to seminary. I'd, Many years of pastoring and so forth, but but I sought uh, to be to be cared for by someone much more senior, and and I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. 
uh, being a chaplain is something where you're always giving and never receiving. You're out all over the world, and and I was wasn't burned out. Someone said you can't be burned out. You were never on fire, but um, <laughs> I was used up, you know. And um, uh, so I, I I submitted, if you will, uh, for a temporary time, and that's the critical thing about discipleship. It's temporary. Jesus' disciples were, were discipled for three and a half years, basically. Don't ever let anyone uh, try to make you believe that's the Antichrist thing in nature that you need to be discipled the rest of your life. That is, that is a false doctrine. It's not scriptural. Now, anyhow, okay, I, had a, I got a poster. This was back, you know, during the hippie days and so forth in the 70s. And um, uh, I had a poster of an orangutan. Uh, and this big fat orangutan with his belly, you know, is laying back kind of like a beached whale. And the, and, and, and the title at the bottom of it was, Just when I thought I had all the answers to the world's questions, they changed the questions. <laughs> and, and under it, I wrote, Robert H. Lanning. Let me see, I had to write them all down. LCDR, CHC, USNR, AA. B-A, M-A, M-Div, and what it was, well, what all those things mean is LCDR means Lieutenant Commander in the Navy, CHC is Chaplain Corps, USNR is US, U.S. Naval Reserve, uh, AA is Associate of Arts degree, you know, and B-A, Bachelor of Arts, M-A, Master of Arts, and M-Div is Master of Divinity from Seminary. The point being, just when I thought I had all the answers to the world's <laughs> questions, they changed the questions. <laughs> And, and and that's very significant for me because I I came from a history of thinking I knew knew everything. I mean that I had all the answers. It was an attitude. It was prideful, it was arrogant, it was pathetic, if you will. Um and so that's why I wanted to share on teachableness because it's so precious to me and um a bit of a, 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 a refining by fire in my life. Uh, let me give the context, if I can, first of all, of teachableness. There's an acronym that God is looking for fat Christians. I mentioned this when, when I, I chose teachableness. F-A-T, F for faithful, A for available, and T for teachable, which is where we're at tonight. Now, faithful is very simple. God, if you're faithful, you always do what you say you will do. And and I mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday that in my 65 years of walking with the Lord, the one thing that I want to say about God, and I always say is, God is faithful. He always does what he says he will do. Amen? Have you found that your experience with him? He's faithful. Available just means that, you know, if you're working 80 hours a week, you're not available for hardly anything. And when I'm in India, I'm not available to Alan or to anyone else in Granbury for anything because I'm not available. I'm gone. You get it? So it's a very practical thing, but very real. If you're not available, you're not available. If if we need someone to teach here on Wednesday night and, 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 and they have to work, they're not available. And then teachable which is what we want to spend our time tonight talking about. Faithful, available, teachable. But the point 
being especially is you don't have to be a speech maker. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be handsome. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be an orator. You don't have to be brilliant. Uh, but you have to be fat, faithful, available, teachable. You see what I'm saying? You see the point? For instance, I used to go to Ghana, West Africa every year for, for several many years. A gal down there in her 40s by the name of Victoria uh, had eight children, and her husband had long since run off, which is perfectly normal in Africa. They don't stay around. And she, uh, Vicky, uh, as we called her, Vicky uh, was a lovely lady in her 40s, very attractive, and uh, she fed her children by raising uh, what food they ate and whatever she could get out of their little garden, a yam, that was the, that was what the whole family ate that day, a uh, yam being like sweet potato, okay, uh, or, or, or cassava, or uh, they had something they call fufu where they mixed uh, plantain um, uh, cassava and, um, and yam and mashed it all up with a pestle, you know, and make a paste out of it, and that was a staple, it is a staple in Ghana. And... Um, and so uh, I, I was uh, teaching in a, in a little church building uh, in a village, and, and um, I was, I was uh, uh, teaching the, the leaders, and, and Vicky was there, and I was encouraging them to, about teaching. And Vicky's sweet, humble, innocent little gal said, Bob, how can I be a teacher? I can't read. I said to Vicky, Vicky, do you teach your children? <laughs> big smile, you know, the white teeth, beautifully. All we have is a kerosene lantern, you know. And and she said, of course. I said, well, what do you teach him, Vicky? She says, I teach him everything I know. I said, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You teach unbelievers and believers like everything you know, and you're good to go. As the Lord teaches you, you teach them. She was illiterate, but she wasn't stupid. Just because you're uneducated doesn't mean you're you're stupid. There was a pastor, I used to go to Nepal every year for many, many years, and the pastor up there, he is illiterate, and he had two sermons. Two sermons. Every Sunday he preached one or the other sermon, and he had a, had a, had a room, a little smaller than this one, full of people, Nepalis, who are, you know, fundamental, if you will, Buddhists or Hindu. I mean, they're very religious people, uh, very spiritual people. And he had these people, he had one to the Lord on two sermons. Illiterate. But God was using him mightily. So my point being, you don't have to be educated. You don't have to be handsome. You don't have to be an orator, watch, 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 you know, a great speech maker or a preacher. But you do have to be faithful, available, or teach and teachable, all three. Okay? I'm talking about the context now. You see, it's teachable. Mark 10.45. Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is our Lord Jesus. He came not not as a mighty man of God, if you will, not as a know-it-all, not as a, a supreme being. He didn't present himself that way. He presented himself as a servant, as teachable, if you will. I'm equating the two of, in, in the context of our Father, God, Jesus, was, do you believe teachable? I believe, yes, very much so, very teachable, and we'll, we'll see other passages to that, that effect. John 5, 19, 
Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the Son of Man, that's John 5.19, the Son of Man is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. Now, this is critical. I want to underline that. The Son does also does these things in the same way. He doesn't try to improve or amend or correct or adjust or improve. Did I say that? <laughs> what the Father does. He just does exactly what he sees the Father doing. But you have to be able to see the Father to do what you see the Father doing. Huh? And Jesus, excuse me, Jesus saw the Father all the time. All the time, because he, he was watching, and when he when 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 he wasn't so very clear about what he was seeing, he'd go off by himself and get in touch again. You know, uh, he would go off by himself and pray. Uh, he he, as a man, needed to do that, as do we, constantly, be in touch, to be intimate. I used that word with the passage that I was teaching a couple of weeks ago. This in- issue of being intimate with God. Yeah, and that's just as close a relationship as you can even that we have a word for in English, isn't it? Hebrews one four. Hebrews one four. So he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Now this is our Lord Jesus in reference to his ranking, if you will, in the heavenlies with with, with the Lord's. Uh, 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 a station that the Lord had given him, the place that Father had given him. We know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in that context, the Son is eyeballing the Father <laughs> and doing everything he sees the Father doing. And they are as one. Colossians says he is the essence, he is the, the exact representation of Father. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? <laughs> Wouldn't we each of us, like it said of us, we're the exact representation of Father. Then, as we read in this passage here, he was higher than the angels. So then we have the angels, and then we have mankind. All right? We're at the bottom of the ladder, if you will. Now the question is, do you know your place? Do I know my place? Do each of us know our place? Uh, we're adopted children, brothers and sisters, alike with our Lord. Hmm? But still, he's over us, right? He, he's the head of the church. Now, let's go to 1 Peter 3.7. I'm getting in trouble. 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands? In the same way, uh, live with your wives with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The the other place where you see this show your prayers will not be hindered is honor your father and your mother so your prayers will not be hindered. Remember that one? Wives as a weaker uh, having uh, their, their weaker nature, uh, that is not not socially acceptable in this day and age, uh, and, and certainly not with the spin on the Constitution that we have now and so forth. 
but I'm reading scripture to you, so we got to do something with it, just like the troublesome thing about you don't need teachers, all right? And we're going to we're going to do this. Think about this. My wife is a daughter of the Lord before she's my wife. Before she's my wife, as a daughter of a king, she's a princess. She's royalty. And she's my sister in the Lord and will be in eternity. There will be no giving in marriage in eternity. She'll, she'll be my sister in eternity and is my sister now in the Lord, right? That's before she's my wife. And when you read elsewhere in Scripture, it says that we're to treat our wives, uh, and don't forget that the church is the bride of our Lord Jesus. And you know what? Those of us that are married, you can talk about a lot of things, but don't be talking about my wife. Don't be messing with my wife. Huh? I'll, I'll smack you down. Huh? And don't be talking about the Lord's wife. I'm serious as a heart attack here. Be careful how you talk about the church. Any church. And I'm not talking about institutions. I'm talking about God's people. Hmm? God's gathered people. We brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus who make up the church universal, if you will. Be careful. Be careful. Very, very careful that your your prayers not be hindered. Huh? Uh, now, it says elsewhere in Scripture... Uh, you know, about wives submit to your husbands and so forth. And then it says, husbands, treat your wives like the Lord treats the church. And what is the Lord to the church? Slave. Now, if you're the slave of your wife, I think the issue of submission has been satisfied and served and, and defined quite clearly. If you are a slave to your wife... <laughs> I don't think you need to worry too much about your wife's submission to you. I've never seen a slave say to the master, Master, you will do this, and you'll do it this time, and you'll do it this way. No, 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 that's not the way slaves operate. <laughs> so we make ourselves slaves to our spouses. Men, are you with me? Well, you... love's mentioned in there too, though. <laughs> it, is in the, it is in the context of love, no question about it. Now, uh, but it doesn't change anything. We're still slaves. <laughs> now, as the Lord has made him slave, you know, he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. Now, talking about teachable. What does it look like being teachable? Well, by definition, discipleship is being a student. The twelve apostles were the students of our Lord. Would you agree? He was teaching them. Now, Matthew 10.24 says a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. Now, that, that puts us, that gives us uh, some context for the nature of, the, of teach, being teachable. <coughs> if you're teachable, you don't put yourself above other folks in your attitude. Are you with me? In your attitude. <laughs> there was a national Bible teacher, I used to know, that um, <coughs> he said, one time, I'm sick and tired of hearing about young men with huge potential. I will only become involved in ministry with men who walk with a limp. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Yeah. Who in Scripture walked with a limp? Who does that bring to mind? Jacob. 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 
Now, Jacob was a pretty haughty hustler. We called him a supplanter, you know, but he he was just a plain hustler. I mean, he could get what he wanted. What he, well, you know, he he found a way to make things happen. This Jacob, but God had a fix for his fix. And and that night when he wrestled with the angel, he came away limping for the rest of his life. Now the question is, have you had the opportunity to have your ass busted by God? <laughs> I have. <laughs> yes, sir. I've already been there and done that. <laughs> yeah. But maybe now he could teach you and use you for something because of getting it busted. Hmm? Things like a wayward wife that you've had to deal with or a wayward child. Huh? You've gotten fired. Uh, health failure. Financial ruin. I can go on and on and on and on of getting, getting, walking away with a limp. Huh? You with me? And when you're busted down like that, that's a time when God can get to us. And sometimes it's the only way he can get to us, and it certainly was true with me, because of the haughtiness, because of the arrogance. Second um, Corinthians 12.9. Uh, but he said to me, Second Corinthians 12.9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Huh? Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. No weakness, no power. Huh? In our weakness, he is able to exercise his power and strength. Now, we're talking about teachableness. Talking about being a student, talking about being a slave, huh? like our Lord Jesus. And Paul was lamenting in some degree about, you know, describing his weakness. And he says, I, I glory in my weaknesses, because in those weaknesses, that's when the Lord is able to, to, to manifest his power. That's when, when I clearly do not have the capacity to pull this thing off, and if he doesn't pull it out of the fire, we're all going to burn. I mean, you know, it's that kind of uh, extremism that he's he's talking about. And and some in our culture, you know, um, it's even worse in the Hispanic culture because of machismo. But in our culture, you know, being a man and being in charge and being in control and not having the answers and being strong, these are cultural things that are that drive us all. And when we, we're fearful sometimes to show weakness in front of our children, in front of our wives, in front of our congregation, in front of our whoever. I think it hinders us. Oh, it does. No question about it. It does. But, but it's a, a, a reality that we all have to contend with and, and, and repent of uh, uh, regularly, I think. At least I do. You know, I can speak for myself. 1 Corinthians 2.3. What was that? Second Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians 12, 9. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 2.3. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. <laughs> this is Paul. And he's not exaggerating. He, he's saying that uh, I, I was scared to death in a manner of speaking. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have any confidence, uh, self-confidence at this point at all and, and when I came to you. But... but uh, 
if there's no weakness, no humility, then there's no strength, there's no power, there's no authority. It's hard to get that. It's hard to get that. In weakness, huh? in humility, there's authority. I was waiting for you to say it. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say humility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it just it doesn't compute. You know? <laughs> In, in weakness, huh? in humility, then there's strength, power, and authority. It's one of those, up, you know, so much of walking with God is upside down. I mean, you know, the weak are strong, and the last shall be first, and you can go on and on and on and on, you know. And things that seem to be, and here's one of them, you know. In weakness and humility, there's strength and power and authority. And Paul certainly had those. Coming in weakness and fear and trembling. Now, I I, uh, I I have seven children, one of which died in 2006 from cancer and is six living. But my oldest son is uh, 55, and um, he, he's a, a very, 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 very successful dentist up in Argyle, a very high-end community and, and practice. I mean, the building is, that he has is $5 million. I mean, he's, he's doing very well, been in six figures for decades. But Don said to me just, just uh, I don't know, three or four days ago, five days ago, said, oh, teach someone this is great, but my problem is learnableness. Mm. <laughs> now, wh- wh- what do you suppose you meant by that? Well, Don, Don you know, he, he, he explains to me that he's one of 2% of dentists in the whole United States that can do all the procedures that he's more than gifted and skilled to do. He's an outstanding dentist. As a matter of fact, I've got to be in his office at 7 o'clock in the morning. These are all temporaries. He's crowning all of my upper teeth. He All this free. Uh, my bite was such that, that my front teeth were wearing on my bottom teeth, and they became so thin, thin, my front teeth started to break off, and they were so sharp they cut my tongue. And these are just temporaries, and he's... He's putting in all crowns all the way across top, six on the bottom. And and um, I, he, he's calling it my $25,000 smile <laughs> because that's what it would cost if he did it for, for a, a patient. Um, extremely generous. If you made him gold, you'd be real popular. Well, that's the, that's the irony of it, Bill. That what, what is in there and what he has ground away on the top and, and – uh, uh, he had gold inlays and onlays all through my mouth. He had $10,000 worth of work in my mouth that he's doing away with to replace with the $25,000 crowns. If you can believe that mess. I mean, no, no earrings. I mean, it was heartbreaking. It was gorgeous work. I would show it to dentists in other countries like Russia, and they were just, they'd never seen anything like it before. Just incredible. I mean, like looking at jewelry, exceptional jewelry, perfect, perfect inlays and onlays. And anyhow, anyhow, I want to talk about Don a minute. He's a very humble guy. He's not a good boss. You're saying? Yeah, and he's the first to admit it. He's an incredible dentist, but people don't like to work for him. <laughs> he's a nice, he's a pleasant fellow. Um, but I think he got my DNA. Nobody likes to work for me. I really don't. Not my children, not my wife, not anybody likes to work for me. When I first got out of the military and I was pastoring uh, the chapel, say I was in Corpus Christi, planted a church, and the people protested, you're too military. 
What do you suppose they meant by that? Well, in the military, as a lieutenant commander, when you tell someone to do something, you expect them to do it. Institutionalized? It was the, the issue of expectation. Yeah. You're paying someone, you know, I expect them to do it. If they ain't going to do it, in hit the, the bricks. I work for free. But it took me years to understand what they meant by two military. And it was my expectations. And and Don, uh, being the busy guy that he is and so forth, um, his employees don't enjoy working for him. He had one quit yesterday. Yesterday. Um, and, and her explanation was, I just don't feel like I have any joy working here. <laughs> and um, I, I just don't feel like I fit in uh, very well, and it turned out she wasn't doing her job. After after she left, the other employees were saying she she, she wouldn't do what she was asked to do, and and was uh, yeah. There's pervasiveness in society today of showing up at work and go, I'm here to get a check, but you want me to do what? It's exactly. You want me it, to work it, to earn the check that you've already told me I'm going to get? It's epidemic in it our is. in our country. Yeah, and people I've, want to be paid but don't want to work. Problem with my company. Sure, sure you do. Sure you do. See, yeah. my way is they do not want to work. But Don's point is, the Lord's, he's been to seminars, you know, he goes to all these training seminars and everything all over the country and whatever, and he's been taught, read books, you know, and been discipled about leadership and so forth. But he says, I'm not learnable. I haven't learned how to uh, supervise people and have them enjoy it and have it be successful, if you will. I mean, you know, in, by their, by their, in their estimation, yeah, Bill. Just one question. Huh. Does he finance? <laughs> <laughs> Not to my knowledge. He does gives, he need? Does he, he need line work? <laughs> he gives. He gives. Uh, he told me what he gave last year, just in passing, and I was. It was more than I make in a year. <laughs> it's giving. Anyhow. Um, uh, he says, I just don't seem to be able to learn how to be an effective, likable leader. Uh, nobody likes to, okay. Uh, my wife said to me years ago, when my father was about 75 years old, we were, we were planting a church up in Washington State, and she said to me, when my father was visiting, he was about 75, a little older than I am, I'm 72, and, 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 and she said, how does anybody get to be as old as your father and be so immature? Uh-huh. What was she saying? She that, that, train him. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't trying to train him. My father. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't that. It was that my father threw tantrums, that he demanded his own way, that he spoiled rotten. The truth of the matter. Actually, he was a master sergeant in the army and was used to getting his way. There's that military thing, and uh, he was a musician. So and he was a professional musician. He was a cellist. He's an extraordinary musician in the military, and and, and uh, artists tend to be very temperamental, you know. And he was a temperamental person. And her observation about him was, how did anyone get to be so old and be so immature, <laughs> so child, childish, not childlike, but childish. You follow me? Yeah. Well, so so age is not the hope of glory. <laughs> you you can go to the grave still being uh, uh, not teachable. 
which is what we're talking about, right? That's why I mentioned that. Now, let me talk about the opposite of being teachable, the antithesis, if you will. Um, I'll try to give examples. Okay, you try to give somebody a word. You feel like you have a word from the Lord for someone, all right? And they won't shut up long enough for you to tell them what it is the Lord has said to you. You begin to talk, and then, you know, they've got something more to say. They just don't receive it. They don't get it. And and, and uh, uh, it can be so frustrating, and yet you just say, okay, you know, just uh, not teachable, not teachable. Um, they just ignore what you're saying. Matthew 7, 6, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before uh, pigs or they will trample them with their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Or as someone said, bite you in the butt. <laughs> uh, well, when you find someone just won't receive, you know, aren't interested in anything that you have to say, just, you know, it's okay. It, it's, that's, it's on them. You know, Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet if the village won't receive you, won't see the word that you have. It's that kind of thing. Um, how about people that are all talk and no listen? You've never known anyone like that, have you? I mean, you know, they, they just talk, 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 but they don't listen to anything. And and, and uh, many times uh, uh, they, uh, they can't wait for you to finish so they can go on and say something more that they think. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of meant the kind know. of person that doesn't listen. He's just waiting for his turn to talk. Right, right. Even and, and, and if it is his turn, he'll, he'll start talking. You know that kind of thing. That person is not teachable. I'm giving you some illustrations of the opposite of teachable. Okay. Um, how about people that are know-it-alls uh, like me, <laughs> or, or think they know what's best? You know, so many things. When Jesus, when he went down to the Sea of Galilee, they said it says there were two boats, and he got into one boat. Why didn't he get in the other one? It could be if someone up on shore was really mad because he didn't get in his boat. I don't know. <laughs> but my point being, many things are just a judgment call. You got to get in one or the other. You can't get in both. I mean, you know. So, and 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 people who think they know what's best will say, "You should have gotten in the other boat. You're you're a fool. You're an idiot. You know, you missed it." You know, people who think they know what's best. I have a sister. God love her. I love her. But she's unemployable. She's 75, 76 years old now. But um, she honestly can't hold a job because she just always knows what's best. And the employer just can't put up with it because she won't do things the employer's way. It's not teachable. Not teachable. Um, and how about people that talk over you? Isn't that fun? You know, when you're trying to say something and, and, and you're trying to interject something or try to have a conversation with them and they just talk right over you. They feel like what they have to say is so important, they talk right on top of you. You know what I'm talking about? That can be very frustrating. Uh, and and they won't, even when you get frustrated and try to talk over them, they won't stop. I have another sister that's like that. <laughs> um, now I can talk about myself. Arrogance of youth. You know, it's typical of youth. I think it's. I think God does it. I, I raised, you know, like I said, seven children. But I know when they get to be about 19, they know it all. I mean, 
we invite them to just go ahead and move up. <laughs> but on their 19th, it's time to go to university. It's time to go live with a relative. We always made sure that they lived in a protected environment for the first couple of years of college. We didn't put kids in dormitories and that kind of thing, and I'm, uh, I really don't believe in it. But anyway, I mean, it's like throwing them in the deep end of the pool. But anyway, uh, by God's grace, the Lord always provided a relative, my parents, my my daughter for one of my kids, older daughter for the younger daughter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um, it's just in our DNA, God God gets us that way, so we're we have the strength and the 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 um, self assurance to go on and go out and be a man or be a woman. I, I believe, I think, I mean that's what I observed. But it's a reality, the arrogance of youth. And and during those it's like the kid who got to be about twenty three and he couldn't believe how much his mother and father had learned in the few years since he was nineteen, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, because <laughs> they didn't change but he did. <laughs> yeah. Um for myself, um, I got married when I was 15 years old. Wow. I was 15. I, I, I was a junior in high school. <laughs> yeah. And and I got 10 years of university, not 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 night school, not part time, but 10 full years of university. After that, uh, with two master's degrees, a different separate master, one from A&M and one from Fuller Theological Seminary. And had five kids in the context of it, and had two more after wow. after I was a chaplain in the Navy. I thought I could do anything. I, I uh, uh, when I was like 25, I had an airplane, uh, a pilot. I had a motorcycle. I had a Corvette. Uh, I was a deputy probation officer in Los Angeles and going to seminary full time. I mean, insane. But I was just so, just so full of myself, just so full of myself. So wonder God could ever, ever, if he can use me, he can use anybody. <laughs> Truth, I mean, I'm just being as serious as a heart you attack. You weren't limping yet. No, I wasn't. No, I was not limping yet. That is a fact, yes. Now, I honestly believe I could do anything that I put my mind to. But there's a difference between pride and self-confidence. I want to make that distinction. Because pride is the enemy of teachableness. It really is. Uh, uh, false pride. Hmm? False pride. False pride. And I, that, that was the next thing. I'm, in this room. Exactly. That's the next thing I've got written down here. And, and false pride um, is also false humility. False humility is self-abasement. That's when, you know, you hang your head and you just, you know, you just... You know, you act like you're, you're just so worthless and just, you know, nobody likes me. Guess I'll go eat worms, you know. Everybody hates me kind of a uh, mentality. That's not humility. And, 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 and self-confident people, you know, humility is defined as, I love this definition, it's when you, you're neither more nor less than what you really are. When you act like and when you see yourself as no more and no less, than you really are. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Popeye said a yam or a yam. <laughs> okay? It's kind of like that. Where you recognize your shortcomings, your inabilities, you know, like sports. I'm about it. My hand-eye coordination is pitiful. It's laughable. When I, when I first start, started training as a pilot, they used to call my landings controlled crashes. <laughs> Seriously. 
and I had my own plane. I was landing in my own plane. I don't think anybody else would let me learn in theirs. <laughs> it took me a good while to get the hand-eye coordination to where I could land very nicely. It came after some time, but I'm a very slow learner when it comes to hand-eye. I have... I have children that are masters, at, like Don, the dentist. Can you imagine? Hand-eye. Woo! Awesome. And I have another son that's a, pilot, a helo pilot in the Gulf. He was a, a, a captain in the Marine Corps, flew helicopters, and now he flies to these companies that serve the um, platforms in the Gulf. And, you know, hand-eye with a helicopter, you know, with that collective. And, and, and uh, Boy, I'll tell you, you better... You better have it together. I don't know if I could ever learn to fly a helicopter because it, you've got both your feet and you've got both hands, and they're all operating independently and 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 precisely. Um, your life depends on it. And a lot of he flies these big ones like the president's in, 25 passenger helicopters, Sikorsky's, you know, great, and lands those things on those platforms and goes. And he's 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 incredible. Um, but but. Um, uh, uh, in, 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 in humility, you're neither more nor less than, than, than you really are, okay? Um, there's a distinction between natural leaders and reluctant leaders. I teach on leadership a lot. Natural leaders are people who see themselves and just automatically lead. The mayor of Dallas is a natural leader. You can just see him doing it on television here. On the Ebola thing, I need to step up and... Yeah, you know, and clarify. Just you know, he's a natural leader. My son Don says he remembers me. I don't remember myself so well, but he's old enough that he remembers me when I was very young. And he says you used to be a natural leader, but I'm a reluctant leader now. I won't lead unless there's just absolutely nobody else who will do it. I'm more than happy to let someone else to, to take the responsibility and carry the load. No, I'm right there with them. <laughs> I'm happy to serve them. Uh, but but. Um, uh, the teachableness thing comes in there, very key in terms of leadership. If you're a natural leader, it's very hard to be teachable because you just tend to take over, you know, and you don't tend to, to listen so well. And if you're a reluctant leader, you're just more than happy to, to let someone, you know, uh, take over or help you out and so forth. Um, how about those people who say, you say something and then they follow it by, yes, but don't you think, da, 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 da. You know what I mean? They don't receive what you said. They're adjusting it, you know, and, and correcting it and not, not, not receiving it. We're talking about teachable. Yes, but don't you think? Or, 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 um, uh, or, or they'll say, they'll, they'll, they'll hear what you say and they'll say, so you think whatcha, whatcha, whatcha. For instance, uh, the passage that I read from, from uh, First Peter. So you think women are inferior to men, right? You see, and that's not teachable. That's not what I said. That's not what the scripture said. It said we're joint heirs. We're joint heirs. And, and our passage in Jeremiah said the least and the greatest, all of us, uh, will have it written on our hearts. Hmm? All equal. Okay? Um, and those, then there are those people, we're talking about the opposite of teachable. Those that are accusing, uh, uh, they're accusing um, well, that's kind of that's the thing about so you don't believe in what it. Wisdom, I define wisdom as learning from your experiences, especially your mistakes. Think about that. Wisdom is learning from your experiences, especially 
your mistakes. That's being teachable. I would call that teachable, wouldn't you? Huh? That wisdom comes from being teachable. Insanity is, is defined, as you well know, continuing to do the same thing over and over, expecting to get a different result. <laughs> You've heard that one, I think, many times. That's unteachable. That's unteachable. You just keep doing the same thing over and over and over, hoping to get a different result. Every day, I, I, I use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for prayer. And it, it, it works for me. It helps me cover everything. So, you know, it's familiar. And so it starts out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Um, uh, and I pray in that context, forgive me, Lord, for pride and every day. Forgive me, Lord, for pride and arrogance and cause me to walk in brokenness and humility for your name's sake and your glory. Let me read it again. Forgive me, Lord, for pride and arrogance and cause me to walk in brokenness and humility for your name's sake and your glory. Because our teachableness, our humility, our slaves mentality brings glory to God and brings glory to his name hallowed be thy name that's why I pray it in that context but for me it's critical every day to die what happens on a cross suffering you die you die and the scripture says to be my disciple you must take up your cross daily and follow me every day you got to die why because I keep coming back to life and I have to Put it to death again, over and over, every day. The the flesh keeps coming back to life, you know, trying to take over. Uh, And and so it's an issue of I'm nothing and he's everything. And that's what Paul was trying to say. I'm nothing. And the Lord is everything. And nothing is nothing. (laughs) You got it? You get it? You say... Well, I'm not received. I'm not respected. Things like this. Well, why should you be? Where you are, fine. If not, move on. Get quiet. Walk away. You follow me? If you're received, great. Let the Lord use you. If you're not, Jesus said it, shake dust off your feet, this kind of a thing. And that's not an arrogant thing. That's not, you know, know, saying bad words. No, no, no. It's an attitude. Remember, teachableness is an attitude. You do what you can where you can, and the rest of it is in God's hands. I told you I'm 72, and I'd be in December. The older you get, the more you recognize how little you know or have to offer and how much you need to learn. And being an authority just kind of fades into eternity as you get older. Just doesn't just doesn't matter. It just loses its attraction, loses its value. I for one, I I love real people. I don't know if you can understand what I mean by that. I love natural people. People without pretense, people without something to prove, people without an agenda. I enjoy, I enjoy blue-collar people so much because so many of them are just 
Just out there. And, you know, you don't like them? Fine. Don't bother them. You know? They have plenty of other friends, sort of a thing. <laughs> and don't need you. I, 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 uh, There's no need to brag, you know. I uh, I, I was in Russia. I used to go to Russia every year for many, many years. And I was in Krasnodar in the Caucasus, and, and there's a pastor there. Uh, uh, he um, uh, had a big church, maybe four or five thousand people. They're really a big, big, too big church. And I was I had a church planting school. I was teaching people church planting at, at, with Youth of the Mission, and we had him over for lunch along with a couple of his elders. And um, I asked the YWAM leader there, do you, do you think I should tell him maybe a little bit about, you know, my you know my history and, you know, education or whatever, you know, these kinds of things? And, and the, the YWAM leader very graciously said, no, no, you don't need to do that. And so I didn't. And so so uh, this pastor, had his name is Boris, he had no idea uh, what my background was or anything, you know, uh, and, and education or whatever. And, and I just told him about our school and asked if, if he might have some people who would, he'd like to see go to our school kind of thing and so forth. And, you know, in the context of that, I had a word and I shared it. And it, it, it had to do with, with people in sheep's clothing who were wolves, you know, underneath. And he had a, a Canadian guy that was there helping in his church who tried to steal half his church not too long after that. And he was overwhelmed with gratitude for this word that I shared uh, uh, that I felt like the Lord gave me about a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he saw it as a, you know, a, a forewarning of things to come. He was on guard. And, 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 and so it was com- completely inappropriate for me to, sh- to brag or, you see what I mean, tell my qualifications or whatever, you know, my resume. The Lord did it. With a word, you follow me. You don't. There's no need for the bragging and that kind of thing. So I'm going to close with one passage of scripture. It's from Jude, uh, Jude uh, 17, one. There's only one chapter, 17 through 21. Let me just read it to you as I close. Uh, but you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers, not having the spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's precious to me. Because it says, walk in the Holy Spirit. Okay? And it's in the context of, just like our, our John passage was, watch out. <laughs> watch out. There are people out there who are evil, who are trying to deceive you. And as I was saying, if you can grasp this thing about the Old Covenant and New Covenant, I can save you 50 years. For, that's how, long I, how much I wasted going down the wrong path with the wrong doctrines and wrong understanding and no understanding that left me vulnerable, you see, to where this doctrine sounded good or this kind of, of, of church organization or I've chased so many things, you know, looking looking for the real thing sort of thing, and the real thing is right here all along. Wow. Huh? Wow. That's the new covenant. 
It's right here all along. And if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're putting the flesh to death every day, if we're teachable, oh, he has a whole bunch of stuff that he wants to share with us and help us with and guide us with. Amen? Amen. That's good. Thank you so much. Does anybody have any questions? I know usually we've got time for comments, but because of the hour, I want to focus on questions first. Any questions, anybody? Bob? Okay. I actually have one. Okay. I, I want to parallel verse to uh, something uh, you quoted out of Second Corinthians. Um, uh, Paul says, uh, I guess the right line here. Uh, or First Corinthians two three. Oh, okay. Paul so says, "I come to you in my weakness." <laughs> when somebody is in that state and they're praying to God in their weakness and they don't receive an answer, where do you go? Where do you take them? The same place until. What I'm saying is you stay on your knees until until you get it. Now, you can't physically do that, obviously, but I mean you stay before the Lord. Would you agree? The mode of waiting. That's it. When people say to me, I haven't heard from the Lord for so long. I don't know what to do. I'm, I, I, I don't know where to go. I ask them, what's the last thing you know the Lord said to you? You're absolutely sure there's no question. And they'll tell me, I'll say, you keep doing that. You keep doing that until you get a word equally clear and powerful and strong. And then you do that. That's good. But you tied that meaning to the next thing you went into with humility. Mm. The weakness of humility means you're ready to be teached. That's it. <laughs> oh, what are you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, right. That's why we say, I humbly beseech. We use those words. We use those in the language, but we don't think about what we're saying. No. Uh, but it's, uh, I was waiting for you to go to humble and humility. Yeah. And I acknowledge you did. And we got that. Oh, that's I good. Guess. That's good, Kevin. When you taught on integrity, uh-huh. you hit at home with me, Dean. Oh, praise God. Because she, sheep clothing, uh-huh. that's pretty much it's what's awakening in me is the fact people that I've been holding close around me mm-hmm. are not the correct people. Mm-hmm. And... It's frustrating, yeah, it is, because the sincerity of the integrity of people that is diminished now, it's just... It's, it's, you trust. It hurts, you know, yeah. because then you look at it, you're like, yeah. you know, and you, 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 you were saying all that, and I was like, it made me question my, my area, my surroundings, my people around me, who's there, and then tonight, when you... I was waiting for you to say it. When you mentioned humility, without humility, you can receive nothing of God. No. Nothing. Good. When you broke the definition of humility down, it basically goes back to what God tells you. Come as you are. Uh. I don't want what you think you are. I don't want what you think you're less. I want you to come as you are. I made you to be imperfect with flaws, 
possibly messing up because that makes you seek me more through humility. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you, Bob. You, uh, you, uh, Call the conversation you and I had about 15 son in law. Mm-hmm. Told you what I thought about you. Because of what I saw that night. And what your concern right there. I know what you're thinking so that you can set the example for those children that you, without knowing it so vividly, your love and care for them is so vivid here. I had to talk to you that night. In that, you may take pride, because that's not false pride. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite of people who have no self-respect. You want to say, no, he doesn't have any self-respect yet. But what's the opposite of that? It's respecting yourself enough to develop what you've got, young man, with your children. That shows when you talk about it. And in that, you may have pride. But those folks around you, you're on the right track. Keep, your, keep, keep an eye on them. Don't let them affect I'll you. I'll say this. They don't like what I've been doing. Good. 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 I'll, I'll talk to you more about it later. I know when dealing with people under you or not submissive, you can get really angry, worked up, and your peace is robbed and all that. And for me, what helped is humbling myself before God and say, God, when did I do this? <laughs> and maybe some boss I... I wronged years ago because of my own rebellion and my own pride. And I repent, receive forgiveness. I even called one boss to ask for forgiveness for giving him a distorted view of what was really real. And uh, he was so arrogant he wouldn't even listen. Oh, you were the best employee I ever had. It just didn't work in my case. But grace came to deal with difficult people when I faced myself. And then I'm changed. It's like God uses sandpaper. Anybody else? Uh, yes, uh, this is Phoenix. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, I just wanted to to share what what, what I'm hearing when I when I hear this this message tonight. Um, first of all, I heard that you, you were talking about how uh, Yeshua Jesus is our example and our teacher, and um, then it transitioned to uh, talk about teachableness. And the one thing that I think I'm missing when I hear this is the fact that we, uh, as people who are followers of of Jesus, need to remember is that we're supposed to be t- testing what we hear, and we're supposed to be we have a responsibility to prove all things and be more like the Bereans, not necessarily simply absorbers. Um, when I hear when when Jesus is our teacher, he is the one who we are to be the sponge from. He is the example and the the model who we need to follow. But when it comes to humans and it comes to the people who are just brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to test what they have to say because that's instruction from the scriptures. And and we're, the model and the things we're supposed to test it against is the example of Christ. Uh, Christ is the example that we're supposed to follow and we're supposed to test what other people say against. Um, I think sometimes um, I understand the the perspective of somebody that comes um, as a chaplain and has a lot of education and I appreciate the, the knowledge that he brings. Um, 
but sometimes you have to have a balance of everybody has different perspectives, and there is as somebody who is teachable, you are willing to listen to what whatever somebody has to say and test it honestly, and that is being teachable in my perspective is being able to listen to other people without prejudging what they have to say, but test them equally just as you would everybody else. You give everybody equal footing, but still test what they have to say. And do you see where I'm coming from with that? Absolutely, absolutely. And that falls under a point he, one of his, one of his points was Christ is our head. He is our head. <clears throat> People are not our head. Jesus is. And so mm -hmm. it falls under that. And discipleship is, is a, is a journey of following Christ. And obviously, yes. Yeah, I'd agree. Thank you. That helps focus the picture even better. That's good.